Bible, you might like to turn there with me. I encourage you to bring your Bible, whether it's hard copy or the electronic version. It's still good to have one sitting in front of you. And if you don't, then we'd like to help. We will place the words on the screen for you. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We begin this Sunday for about the next, oh, whatever it is, 10, 9, 10 weeks. Uh, roughly a chapter a week with I think a gap in there somewhere where Ian Dix will come and be sharing with us and uh, then we have I think a holiday break and do something different then we come back in the fourth term to finish off 1 Corinthians. It's a letter which is about a church and people being transformed which is our theme for this year. The word of God says, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of the grace given you in Christ Jesus, for in him... You have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end, so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. He's called you into the fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas, Peter. And still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptised in the name of Paul? I thank God I didn't baptise any of you, except Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say that you were baptised in my name. Oh yeah, I also baptised the house of Stephanas. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptised anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptise, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. We shall pause there. This is God's word to us. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We pray now that you would speak to us through it. May the words that come through me become your words to us help us to discern to filter out but most of all to hear what you're saying to each of us personally but to us as a church lord shape us transform us for we have gathered together to be equipped to be encouraged but also to be challenged as we follow the lord jesus may his will be done in us this morning we pray in his name and everybody who agreed said, Amen. 
Like I said, we'll begin this morning with a series on Corinthians. Let me sort of zoom in for a little bit on this place, which is quite different and foreign to us, both culturally, geographically, and in terms of time. It's thousands of kilometres away from us, and it's hundreds of years, almost 2,000 years, preceding us in time. So if we zoom in and start at the extreme, to note firstly, it's written to people who are on this planet. It's written to people who occupy this world. It's written to people just like us. People with the same human hearts as we do. They may have driven chariots or walked more than we do and we might drive cars, but the human heart hasn't changed that much. They had the same temptations we do similarly. Same passions, same weaknesses. They look like us, behaves like us, similar attitudes to us. They're part of this world. Zoom in one step. <clears throat> Corinth is part of Rome, part of the Roman Empire. We're not. Though we've been influenced by the Roman Empire, particularly in terms of our justice and administrative practices. But just as they had a Roman Empire that brought them peace and security, so we live in a world that experiences peace and security and for the Corinthians their peace led to both possessiveness the accumulation of more stuff as well as permissiveness parallels us and their security led to complacency so too in our world Rome of course back at that time had already begun the process of a decay decaying from within moral decay especially still had the borders Strengthened by her armies, but internally Rome was beginning to deteriorate. Family life was breaking up. Divorce was increasing. Certainly immorality was increasing. Children were being abandoned. More and more people were being homeless. There was an increase in litigation. Corinth itself, about 146 BC, had been invaded by Rome and decimated, destroyed. 100 years passed and around about 46, roughly, Caesar rebuilt Corinth had just gone through a developmental boom, time of prosperity and of peace. We could identify with that, surely. We are the recipients likewise of a nation on the wave of prosperity. Zoom in the next step, not only part of the Roman Empire, they're part of the country of Greece. Again, different to our culture, but their Greek culture has influenced us, particularly in our education and our philosophy and the way we think. Back in their world, in the culture of Greece, the great entertainment were thinkers, philosophers, talkers, orators. That was the entertainment of the day. You went, listen, you went looking for people who were visiting town, who would debate or who would give speeches, particularly those who were travelling and who were new. They were the the hit series of the, of the time. And just like us, so back then, they wanted their ears tickled, and the more clever it was, the more subtle it was, the better it was. Not life-transforming, just entertaining. So too for us, we live in a world where novelty is valued. It's the order of the day. TV programs run a series, and if they don't capture us, they're gone. We have another one. Novelty. If it's new, it's good. If it's old, and not good. And when you live to be as old as I am, <laughs> <coughs> joking, 
you know that's just nonsense. Many of the old ways were better. Can I hear an amen? Oh, three. Okay, that's good. Many of the old ways weren't better. But there were some things about the old ways that are attractive. Maybe that's just my age and disgruntlement with current society. Anyway, if it was new, it was good. Back in Corinth, the city of Greece, they worshipped the mind and the body. Who does that sound like? Us, again. They had the Olympic Games up north. Corinth had their own games. The Ith- Get it wrong now. The Ithmian, something like that. Ithmian, that'll do, games. Just like we do. We have our com- competitions and our love of sport and the love of the body and gymnastics and all the rest of it. They had. So too for us in various forms. I think we call it football, don't we? <clears throat> Our world, part of an empire, Rome, part of a country, Greece. Let's zoom into the city. Corinth was interestingly located, which is why when it got destroyed, Caesar decided that he would rebuild it because it was a significant geographical location. It was a great commercial centre. If you look at the country of Greece, you'll find that the top part of the country, the northern part, comes down to a very small, four miles wide, what's that, six kilometres? That'll do, six or seven kilometres, and then it spreads out again, southern Greece. Corinth is placed on the western harbour, and Sencria, which is where Phoebe is from, Romans 16, she's from this harbour, Sencria. And they had another harbour which was smaller, but they were the two most important ones. And so ships travelling particularly from... The west and travelling east would come to Corinth and port and unload. To travel around the southern part of Greece was a trip of about 400 kilometres and very dangerous rocks and winds and storms. And they basically, they had a saying back then that if you were travelling around the southern part of Greece, make sure you've written your will. Because many people died. So what they did rather creatively, now they have a a kennel, (laughs) kennel, Someone can't talk proper this morning. A canal going through it. Back in those days, they had a road. And on the road, they had all logs, round logs. They would unload the ships, and they would literally push these things along rollers four miles to the next harbour, load the next ship, and the ship would travel off. A lot of work, but it was actually cheaper, safer, um, and something else. That'll do, quicker. (laughs) Because it's 400 k's around. Um, And so Corinth was this receptor for all trips going likewise east and west across the seas. But interestingly for Corinth too, for all travel going south and north went through Corinth. So it's in the crosshairs of this commercial trips and travels. Everything went through it. And everything, of course, came to it. All of the vices, all of the religions, all of the races. It was a whole hodgepodge of society, really cosmopolitan mix. East and West embraced each other, held hands. Anything went. It's the Las Vegas, pick a city of the ancient world. Anything went without consequences. Nobody raised an eyebrow. In fact, they had a saying to Corinthianize. If someone called you a... Corinthian, you were being insulted 
we get a hint of it in chapter 6 and verse 9, where Paul says to them, Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. Here's a description of Corinth. Highly immoral, highly commercialised, very affluent and incredibly corrupt. And right in the middle of it, God starts the church. Let's zoom into that. Our world, Roman Empire, Greece, Corinth. And in the midst of Corinth is a church, not a building. They didn't have buildings then. They wouldn't have buildings for another couple of hundred years, about the third century. Didn't have permission from Rome to build those buildings yet. You would zoom into private homes, which were chock-a-block full of people, packed rooms in various locations throughout the city, with all sorts of people, with high energy. I guess the one word you would, could use, positive, would be it was exciting. Accurately, it wasn't dull. It wasn't dull because people would turn up drunk to church. Paul talks about that at the Lord's Supper. You'd hear all different sorts of languages being spoken, and not just native people speaking language, but also in worship, speaking of tongues, other languages, and not being translated or interpreted. And that was said to be an ecstatic and a desirable experience. Paul corrects it. They had a feast when they gathered together. And you would see some people come and they would enjoy the feast and they would leave before church was over. The height of some people. That's what they were doing. Church was only 18 months old when Paul writes this letter, about 20 years after the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. You can read about it in Acts chapter 18, about 17 verses, where Luke gives us a brief glimpse of Paul coming to Corinth. Paul's strategy was, as we know it, to go to significant geographical centres, plant a church, and then from that influence for the gospel to spread out along its various trade routes or people networks or whatever and that's certainly what he is doing here if you read between the lines if you read through 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and try to put to get sequence together it goes something like this in around about the mid 50s early 50s to mid 50s somewhere around there the apostle Paul visits Corinth and plants the church starts in the synagogue gets kicked out of that leader of the synagogue becomes a Christian the guy who replaces him Sosthenes he gets beaten up and he becomes a Christian. Other people in Corinth become Christians. Other people who have travelled from other cities join and come to the church. And Paul leaves after a short period of time and um, is concerned about them, so he writes a letter back to them. We don't have that letter. He refers to it in chapter 5, verse 9, in my previous letter. Um, and so he's writing to encourage them and so on. In response to that letter, the Apostle Paul says, as we read here, that he's had a visitor from some of Chloe's household, verse 11, family, French slaves, whatever. In chapter 16 and verse 17, he also talks about three other people who had come and given him a report of what was going on in Corinth, and obviously with some questions. That's chapter 16 and 15 and following, but particularly verse 17, Stephanus, Fortunatus and Achaicus. 
And in reading 1 Corinthians, you also see that the Apostle Paul is replying to questions, like in chapter 7, verse 1. Now in matters of the questions you wrote to me and asked me. And they asked him a whole series of questions. They had a lot of questions. Just like new Christians do have a lot of questions. But their questions went something like this. Is Christianity intellectually acceptable? Do we have to be fancy with our words and eloquent? What about sex and marriage? What about divorce? What if I'm married to a non-Christian? Do I have to stay married to the non-Christian or should I divorce them? That's their question. Should women cover their heads? Let's do a quick show of hands. Should women cover their heads? Paul said yes. Um, should, can men have long hair? Quick survey. Paul said no. Culturally, we'll come to it. Don't panic. Um, they didn't ask this, but other Christians have. Can women wear makeup? Some say yes, some say no. Paul would have said yes. I'm sure he would have said yes. It's quite okay, sweetheart. It's wear makeup. <laughs> what about the Lord's Supper? How do you do that? What about Christians taking Christians to court? They're highly lit, um, litigious. They, on trivial matters, we'll come to that. What about speaking in tongues? Should everybody speak in tongues? Isn't speaking in tongues the best gift? What about Jesus' death and resurrection? What is real love? Yeah, and on and on, you'll be shocked. If you just read through the Corinthians, you'll start to wonder, gee, are these guys Christians or not? And the answer is, yes, they are. New baby Christians. Where they have all sorts of issues and all sorts of things wrong with them, but they're in the faith. Not perfect. Not within a bull's roar of it. Can't even see it on the distant horizon. But we're not much different either, are we? Not perfect. Nowhere near it. Maybe can't even see it on the horizon. Yeah, different issues. But we, like them, have issues and have questions and are still working it out. We have a similar same battle. Real people, real problems, facing real issues and real questions. So Paul writes this letter to Corinth, intellectually proud, materially prosperous, morally corrupt, to the church of God in Corinth. There are many pictures in the Bible of what the church is like. It's a bride, it's a temple, it's the body. David Pawson uses the illustration that the church is like a lifeboat. The lifeboat should be in the ocean, in the sea, looking for people who are drowning, lost people. The lifeboat in the ocean is good. But when the ocean gets in the lifeboat, that's not good. And that's what was happening in Corinth. The ocean was getting into the lifeboat and the lifeboat was struggling and being distracted. It's okay for the church. The church, in fact, must be in the world. Not excluded from the community, not miles from anywhere, out of touch and everything else. The church needs to be located where it is, in the world, in the community. That's why God's placed their Sunnybank District Baptist Church here, part of the community. That's why God placed you where you are, in your family. With all of its issues, there is not a family in this place and there is not a family in this city and there is not a family in this country 
that does not have issues. Skeletons. Difficult people. Divisions. We all have it. You are not unique. You are not alone. We're all fallen. We all need help. And we all need to get into the lifeboat. And those who are in the lifeboat need not to be looking in the lifeboat saying, gee, look at them. I don't like them in the lifeboat. We need to be looking out of the lifeboat to the people who are drowning in the sea and moving towards them and saving them and bringing them on board with their issues, with their problems, with their imperfections. The Church of the Lord Jesus. Corinth. Well, let's have a look at the first 17 verses of this letter pretty quickly. Breaks into three nice little paragraphs in the NIV. So verses 1 to 3, let's have a look at that, just the introduction, make some comments and then move on. New Testament letters like Lowell letters from the ancient world begin with the author or author's names right at the beginning because they were written on a scroll and the very first thing you do when you get a letter, well the first or second thing you do, what's the first thing you do when you go to your letterbox and you get a letter? What do you do? I look at who's this to... It could be one of four people, five people in our family. While Rhonda and I live there, I get my dad's mail, so it could be to him. But we also get our daughter and uh, what's his name's... (laughs) You're all naughty because you laughed. I love my (laughs) son-in-law. Stop talking about that. Five people. So I'll look at who's it to. And then when I find out there's one to me, then what do I do? No, before I open it. I get a lot of letters with envelopes on the front of them, uh, with windows on the front of them. I turn it over, or I look in the top left-hand corner. Who is it from? And many of them I give to my wife to open. (laughs) That's true, actually. Say to in the ancient world, they couldn't do that. So they wanted to know, who is it from? That's what we want to know. Who is it from? So it's a very sensible thing. And then he often goes on to give some sort of descriptive. Now, whenever Paul does this, when he says, like he does here, called to be an apostle, whenever he references his, I don't like the word, but whenever he references his authority, there's a reason for it. He's very clear. He's called to be an apostle. He has a function and a role and a purpose in the church of Jesus by the will of God. Not by his choice, not by the church's appointment. Certainly the church recognizes it, but by the will of God. It's always good for us to be able to say that. This is my role, this is my function, by the will of God. It's a wonderful thing to be able to say. And then he also includes... And our brother Sosthenes, who's one of the Corinthians, who's now with Paul, who's agreeing with what's being written, converted out of the Jewish synagogue. It's written to the church of God in Corinth. Not to be a little bit pedantic. Not to the church of Corinth, but to the church of God in Corinth. See the difference? The church is the church of God It belongs to him. It happens to be located here in Corinth or in Sunnybank. 
but it's his. It's about him and it's for him, the church of God. And it's written to those who are in the church, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. It's an, way to, it's an unusual way that Paul uses this word. Normally with sanctification, it's a process that we go through, but sometimes he uses the word sanctification like he does here to point to something like justification, to those who have been are sanctified. You're set apart, you are holy. Not becoming holy, you are holy. That's who you are in Christ Jesus. It's all in him. In fact, I counted 17 times either Christ or Jesus or the Lord Jesus Christ or Lord. 17 times he is referenced in 17 verses, which is significant. Paul has got this letter from the Corinthians. He's got these reports coming from the Corinthians. He's got a list of issues that he's got to address. And how does he begin? Let's focus on Jesus. He's the one who's going to guide us through these issues. He doesn't reference rules and regulations, doesn't reference that at all. He references our relationship with Jesus. We are in him. How does my relationship in him address these issues that the Corinthians are being dealt with? Issues that are being dealt with through the cross of Jesus and through the love of Jesus. Not through laws and rules and regulations. Sometimes we as a church, I fear, go too far that way and not enough that way. We focus too much on laws and rules and regulations. You need them, but they're not the focus. He is. And sometimes our rules and laws and regulations will need to be changed because they actually get in the road of us doing that. And that's a process and it's something we do together. And it's also not something we do in our own mental reasoning or abilities or strengths. We look to who are we in Jesus and that will have an impact upon each one of the issues the Corinthians ask and each one of the issues you ask. From Paul. To the church of God in Corinth, the lifeboat left in Corinth. And then he says these things about the Christians, the church. He says, you have been consecrated, or in the NIV it's sanctified. You've been set apart. You're dedicated to him. You belong to him. He died for you, so now that's your position. That's who you are spiritually. You're a child of God, a son of God, a daughter of God, sanctified. It's your inheritance, it's your title, it's your identity. Can't lose it. You have been called, he says, sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. You have been set apart by his death and resurrection on the cross and now as those who are set apart, you are to be different. Different to what you were and different to those who are around you. You are now to become holy, different, separated dedicated to him, honouring him. Different, not isolated, different in character and in attitude and in actions. Two sorts of people in the world, those who are saints, sanctified in Christ, set apart, called to be holy in Christ, the saints and the ain'ts, as somebody called it. Saints and the ain'ts. Those who have Jesus, those who don't. Those who submit to Jesus, those who don't. Which one are you? If you're a saint, your job is to help these people become a saint. 
by life, by deeds, by example, by attitude. Sometimes that's difficult, isn't it? Let's suck it up. That's what we're called to do. And we're not called to do that alone because he wonderfully says here, together with all those who everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that includes us, we call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, so the Lord has written to us as well. It's one of the few New Testament letters that you can say that about. We're in the mail. But the important point is these Corinthians, sanctified in Christ Jesus, set apart to be holy in Christ Jesus, are not alone. They're part of a wider community. There's only one church. There's a church of God in Corinth. There's a church of God in Sunnybank. There's only one church. We belong to the one church. And as Paul will go on to say and demonstrate, that should be manifested. Then he gives a blessing, grace to you and peace. Grace is a Greek blessing, which he adapts. Peace is a Jewish blessing. He pushes those together. Grace and peace to you. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, equally one from the other, which is hinting at the Trinity, that the Father and this Lord Jesus are in fact equal, united, one, together. Not the same, distinct, but in complete harmony in the divine being. So that's the introduction. The Apostle Paul uh, says that God has called us to be, to be believers. And believers are those who call on the name of the Lord to save them. Call to believe and we call on him to do it. Have you? Have you called on him to believe? Paul says God has called us to be holy. It's a process. The position we have in Christ is to be worked out in practice. But he also calls us to serve. That's what he means in verse 1. He says he's an apostle. That's his service. And he's doing that by the will of God. So God has called you to serve him. He's got a role and a job for you to do. Are you? Are you? Mops needs helpers. Can you help? Kids church needs teachers. Can you help? God has called us to serve. Second paragraph, verses 4 to 9. The Apostle Paul is very thankful. And again, before he gets to the issues, and he's going to get to it in verse 10, but before he gets to the issues about, I appeal to you to be united together in harmony with one, before he gets there, he reminds them who they are, Church of God in Christ, the lifeboat. And he's very thankful for them. Thankful for what God has done in them. He says, both past, present and future, I always thank my God for you because of his grace that has been given to you in Christ Jesus. You've been saved by grace. Praise the Lord. For in him, it's all in him, you've also been, in the present, enriched in every way. In all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. He gives you the words to speak. You don't have to be eloquent like the orators you guys love to listen to in Corinth, but he has given you the words to speak. You will be given the words at the time to be a witness for him, what to say to that right person. Many of us chicken out when it comes to evangelism because we say, I don't know what to say. Well, the Corinthians were enriched in him with all kinds of speech. Let me suggest that you just begin by speaking and see what comes. Do what Adele does. Hello? <laughs> oh, three people understand that one. 
enriched in every way. And not only in speech and in knowledge, knowledge of, not only about the gospel, knowledge of God's will, what does God want me to do? They know. They're, they are a richly blessed people confirming the gospel, verse 6. And then he says, verse 7, and you have been enriched. You don't lack any spiritual gift. Here is a church which is very immature, highly immoral, confused, divided, but spiritually very rich. Lots of spiritual gifts being demonstrated and experienced. Falsely and incorrectly understood, but nonetheless real. And then for the future, that's past, the present, now the future, he says, as you eagerly await for the Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed, he is the one who will keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless. That's a wonderful statement on the day of the Lord Jesus. The revelation of Jesus is his second coming. It's when he will be revealed. He will come and he'll be exalted. Satan will be removed. We'll face our evaluation process, judgment day for us, but there's no judgment. I wonder if you've been taught, I wonder if you've read, I wonder if you've thought that on judgment day there's going to be a huge video screen and you're going to be standing before it and your life Sin and issues and problems and everything is going to be on the screen and everybody's going to watch it. You ever been taught that? You ever thought that? It's not happening. That won't happen. Why not? Your sins have already been paid for, dealt with and they're gone. That won't be replayed. But you will be evaluated in terms of your service. I don't know how God will do it. He hasn't given us the details. I don't know if it'll be as this detail, but the book of Revelation certainly talks about books being opened. But that's the great white throne judgment, not our judgment. I wonder if God will say to you, on the 17th of April, you were informed of a way to serve, whether it was Alpha or Mops or Kids Church or whatever. You heard it. I moved in your heart, I tugged on your heart, I wanted you to do that, and you didn't do it. I wonder if it'll be that level of evaluation on the last day. I don't know. But there will be an evaluation where we'll receive for deeds done in the body, good or bad. And the bad is we haven't done what we should have done, and so there'll be a loss of reward. The good news is that we will be blameless, guiltless, without sin because of Jesus. And the Bible certainly teaches, the book of Ephesians, the church shall be presented to him without spot or without wrinkle. That's good news. Holy and blameless. And in the midst of all of that, Paul can be thankful because verse 9, God is faithful. The one who called you is the one who will keep you. And where has he called you? Paul says specifically, he's called us into fellowship with his son. Called into fellowship with Jesus. We don't live the Christian life on our own. We live it in relationship, in walking with him. He is our partner. That's what the word means, fellowship, partner. His resources are my resources. My resources are his, partners, together. He brings more to the partnership than I bring, obviously. But it means that I can count on him, I can look to him, I can call on him. He's my partner. And he is faithful.
Paul is thankful to God for the Corinthians, and we can be too for ourselves, for past grace that saved us, for present grace which enriches us with the gospel, and for the grace that's going to keep us and declare us guiltless before him on the last day. Time is going. Now Paul gets to the issue. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus, the one who has done all of this for us, that you all agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, not, but that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. What Paul is talking about is not a church split where these people now meet over here and these people meet over here. He's not talking about that. He's talking about a church where there is a fracture, where there is a tear, where there is quarrelling and disagreement and there's hurt. And we can identify with that, can't we? And some of us more so than others. And the emphasis he gives is that we are to not focus on the problems. You've got to deal with them. You've got to address them, as he will and does here. But the focus is on Jesus. The Apostle Paul goes on and he says, the problem for the Corinthians, their rip, their tear, their difficulties in the congregation had become, they'd become loyal to particular pastors, loyal to particular Preachers who had visited Corinth and they had now moved on. I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas. Or the super spiritual snobs, oh no, no, I follow Jesus. It's what I often say when I get into theological disputes with other Baptist pastors. I say, let's agree to disagree. You continue to believe what you believe, I'll continue to believe what he believes. terrible isn't it I do say it tongue in cheek and I am kidding because that's in that third category oh no no I follow Jesus spiritual snobs you think you're better than everybody else and it's very difficult Um, we're supposed to say I follow Jesus but you can say I follow Jesus and mean and you don't you can say that and mean that Do you see? And I think that's what Paul is saying here. And the solution is, he says, we are one in him. Verse 13, is Christ divided? No, one body. Messed up, imperfect, but it's one body, one family. My sister, many, many years ago, uh, disowned the family. She had nothing more to do with me, nothing more to do with Dad, nothing more to do with anybody, and walked away. Still my sister. Still in the family. That's what it's like to be a Christian when you follow Jesus. You can't get out of it. And the flip side of that story is good news that she's now had a change of heart and she's now communicating and connected back in and all of that's much much better what was it all about no idea don't know something going on that she hasn't told me about the principle is that we are to be one is christ divided no was paul crucified for you don't be silly no were you baptized in the name of paul ah no now this is a very interesting paragraph when it comes to this issue of priorities 
The gospel is the priority, not baptism. I thank God I didn't baptise any of you. Oh, that's right, I baptised Crispus and Gaius. So that none of you can say, I was baptised in the name of Paul. You know, he baptised me. The Apostle Paul baptised me. Which is interesting, in John chapter 4, you have Jesus baptising his disciples. And then John tells us, verse 2, he said, actually, Jesus didn't baptise them, the disciples did. Because couldn't you imagine people going around, I was baptised by Jesus. Jesus didn't allow that to happen. He removed himself from it. Wanted it to happen, but he did it through his followers. And then I love, you need to think this through. What does this mean for the inspiration of Scripture? Verse 16, Paul forgets. Oh, he says, oh, that's right. I also baptised the whole family of Stephanus. I don't remember who else I baptised. This is the inspired, inerrant word of God. And it's almost like the Holy Spirit is giving us a clue. The Bible is not written with what people think and with what people remember because Paul forgets. Now, there's another thing that happens in the scripture. It's the Holy Spirit inspiring the text who works through the text. And this certainly is emphasizing for us that the centrality of Christ crucified corrects divisions, holds us together. All churches have problems, issues. None is perfect, as I've already said. Fractures are quite common. I'm open to correction on this, but I often say these days, because people complain about cliques. You know, after the church, we go and have coffee, or you go to a coffee shop and you have coffee, which is superb. It's excellent. Keep doing it. Have lunch together. There's another group in our church at the 10.30 service. They have lunch together every Sunday. A group of them. It's terrific. Keep doing it. Nothing wrong with it. Except when it becomes clicky. You're not in our group. You can't come. It's us. That's the issue. Make sense? Nothing wrong with clicking with people and getting on with people. When you become clicky, exclusive, well, then the Lord, you know, deal with you, rebuke you or whatever he needs to do. We are all brothers and sisters. We are all one. We are to fellowship across the board. Not saying I follow Paul, I follow Paulus, I follow Cephas, I follow Piper, I follow MacArthur, I follow Calvin. Mm-mm. It's great. It's okay to have preferences. It's okay to uh, do that. But don't let your preferences lead to you being disloyal or separated from your brothers and sisters in Christ. If your theology does that, change your theology. God calls us to believe and we are to call on the name of the Lord Jesus to be saved. God calls us to be holy and he calls us to serve. The Apostle Paul gives thanks to God for their past grace, for their present experience of enriching grace and for their future kept keeping grace where we'll be declared guiltless before Jesus the first issue he deals with is one of division and quarrels and he basically says for goodness sake agree together be united put aside personal preferences when loyalty comes at stake refocus on Jesus and his gospel lots of lessons for us isn't there Lots of implications from that for us as a church as well. Our time is gone, so I'm going to invite you to stand with me. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go into our clicky little groups where we'll have coffee together.
let's pray. Father, you are the God of grace and that you planted a church in Corinth of all places because you care about all people. The nice ones and the difficult ones. The clean ones and the messed up ones. So Lord, forgive us for just wanting to be clean and comfortable. Help us in our lifeboat to be looking out for those who are bouncing in the waves of the sea, desperately in need of the gospel of Jesus. Forgive us, heal us, and deliver us from Satan's distractions of quarrelling and dissensions and clickiness. We are far from perfect, Lord. But this is your goal and aim for us, and so therefore we pray for it. We ask that you would help us in it. And we also ask that God himself, the God of peace, would sanctify us completely through and through every area of our lives and relationships. May our whole soul, body and spirit be kept blameless to the coming of the Lord Jesus. Lord, you're the one who has called us and you're the one who is faithful and you, therefore you are the one who will do it. Help us to cooperate with you in it. So we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The grace, past, present, future of the Lord Jesus be with each one of you this day. Amen.